Tonight on MovieCat, we're watching the beginning of the 1987 Star Trek reboot series, The Next Generation, and its first episode, Encounter at Farpoint. All hail the great bird of the galaxy. Encounter at Farpoint was written by Dorothy Fontana and Gene Roddenberry and directed by Corey Allen. The show, and series, stars Patrick Stewart, Jonathan Frakes, LeVar Burton, Denise Crosby, Michael Dorn, Bates McFadden, Brent Spiner, Marina Sirtis, Will Wheaton, and John Delancey, among others. When it premiered, it was a two-hour television special. Minus the commercials, it's only 90 minutes. Tonight, I'm watching the 2012 region-free Blu-ray set from Paramount Pictures. This release has the restored HD versions of the show that was made from the 35mm source elements and newly created special effects. So the show never looks so good, and it is certainly much better than when it first aired. It's a very impressive upgrade. I remember watching this when it first premiered back in the 80s. What I mostly recall was that it was a big, big television event. There was a lot of hoopla surrounding the premiere with a pre-show and news coverage and all kinds of marketing. The show holds up surprisingly well, and along with the renewed special effects, it looks very much like a show that could have been recently released. The story is a bit simple-minded, but nonetheless, it's a pleasant watch for regular viewership, so it gets a B-. Hardcore Trekkies and other sci-fi fans of course love this show, so it gets an A. I'll go into more detail about why in just a minute. By the time The Next Generation began airing in 1987, Star Trek was already a major entertainment franchise. Star Trek, of course, started with the original television series in the mid-60s, created by Gene Roddenberry. It was cancelled after just three seasons, but soon found a home with a regular schedule of reruns. This grew the show's popularity and cult status. There was a brief dalliance with an animated series in the mid-70s, but Star Trek was more or less merely stable in reruns. Then came Star Wars and Star Wars changed everything, especially the science fiction landscape. And for Star Trek, what was basically a dead TV series became a franchise property with a lot of potential. Star Trek's first feature film, simply called Star Trek The Motion Picture, started the film franchise off with a heavy dose of Gene Roddenberry's style of science fiction and philosophy. It's a great movie, but it wasn't Star Wars. Roddenberry's work in science fiction is distinctly different from George Lucas's vision. Star Wars was basically an action-adventure film, where Star Trek dealt with more exploration and learning about other cultures and how it affects our own, often on a moral level. It's right there in the name, Wars and Trek. When Star Trek The Motion Picture had only mediocre success, the franchise shifted gears and took a much stronger cue from Star Wars. The sequel to Star Trek The Motion Picture, The Wrath of Khan, cost less to make than the first film and thus made more money. It was also a much more action-based film. It's basically a simple revenge story, and much less cerebral than its predecessor. Roddenberry was also removed from the creative process, and it really shows. Wrath of Khan is a huge departure from the Star Trek ethos. There was money to be made from space action films, less so from space films about intellectual conundrums. The Star Trek franchise would go on to produce many more films with varying degrees of quality, and then in the late 80s, a new TV show. What is important to understand about Star Trek is that after the creation of the first two feature films, Star Trek would always have a strange tension built into its storytelling. The producers had to balance what is the essence of Star Trek, its Roddenberry-style moral tales, with what brought in more money, the Lucas-esque action and spectacle. When you think about the daunting task that a series reboot had to accomplish, Encounter at Farpoint does an amazing balancing act. Roddenberry was very much a part of the new series, and he was clearly trying to set the tone for the new show as dealing with morality, while also appealing to the sci-fi action aspects that brought in the money. Structurally, Encounter at Farpoint is divided into three sections. They aren't really acts in the traditional sense, but they do follow a kind of dramatic buildup. 
The first section has to do with Picard and Crew's encounter with the alien Q. The second section has to do with the mystery of Farpoint Station. And then finally, the third part is about solving the problem of the Nadarians in a moral way. Layered throughout the show are several scenes of exposition establishing the new characters, the new Starship Enterprise, and how the Star Trek world has evolved since the Captain Kirk era. The show begins by introducing Captain Jean-Luc Picard, who is the main protagonist for the entire series. Picard has just been assigned to the new Enterprise, and as he tours the ship, so does the audience. Some of the crew are introduced, such as the telepath Counselor Troy, Lieutenant Yar, Lieutenant Data, an android, and Lieutenant Worf, a Klingon. More of the crew will be introduced further along in the story. The Enterprise's mission is to assess a new outpost for possible use by the Federation, Farpoint Station. The base is suspicious because of the rapidity with which it was built. As they speed towards Farpoint, Troy senses a powerful presence, and then suddenly their path is blocked by an energy field. A humanoid alien called Q appears on the bridge and demands that the ship return to Earth. Q is apparently an omnipotent entity and trickster. He accuses Picard and all humans of being too savage to move out into the galaxy without causing harm. After arguing with Picard, Q disappears. The Enterprise takes the opportunity to make a run for it and they speed off in the opposite direction. The Q energy field follows. During this scene, it is shown how the Enterprise can detach the saucer section of the ship in times of emergency. The saucer escapes and the rest of the ship, the secondary hull, turns to fight Q. Instead of fighting, Q disappears some of the crew, Picard, Data, Yar, and Troy, and reappears them in a bizarre courtroom with Q as the judge. He intends to put humanity on trial for its savagery. Picard argues again with Q, and Q agrees to allow the Enterprise to continue with its mission as a test of their moral problem solving. The crew are suddenly placed back on the Enterprise, which is magically heading to Farpoint Station. The second part of the show begins with Commander William Riker, who is already at Farpoint Station, explaining in his log that he will soon be joining the Enterprise, which is his new assignment as First Officer. In the meantime, he has been sent to meet with the administrator of the station, Groppler Zorn, of the Bandai people, who built the station. During the meeting, a mysterious bowl of fruit appears out of nowhere, which makes Riker suspicious. Later, as Riker explores the station, more mysterious things happen. He encounters the Enterprise's new doctor, Dr. Crusher and her son Wesley, in the Bandai Market, where another mysterious thing happens. Crusher is looking for a particular fabric which she can't find, and then suddenly it appears. We are also introduced to Lieutenant LaForge in the Market, who is blind, but with the help of a special visor, can see and analyze materials with it. When the Enterprise arrives at the planet, Riker beams up and meets Picard and the rest of the crew. The third part of the show begins with Q reappearing to warn the Enterprise that he is still watching and that he is giving Picard 24 hours to prove himself. Some of the crew led by Riker beam down to the station to explore subterranean passageways under the station. They discover that the station is not built with normal materials. Also, Troy empathetically senses feelings of great distress. A giant alien spaceship arrives at the planet and scans the Enterprise, but does not fire at it. It then begins to shoot at the old Bandai City, which is next to Farpoint Station. Picard and the crew discover that Farpoint Station is actually a giant space creature, called a Nidarian, that Zorn and the Bandai have managed to capture and enslave. The alien spaceship is not a ship at all, but another Nidarian that has come to rescue the one on the planet. The Nadarians have the ability to change the molecular structure of things, thus making it seem like things are appearing from nowhere. The Enterprise sends an energy beam down to the Nadarian on the planet to feed it and bring it back to health. The two creatures then float away into space. The crew of the Enterprise have apparently passed Q's test, and so continue on into the galaxy. Star Trek, in all its variations, is easily mocked. It's generally made of fun of in two ways, its presentation and its pretentiousness. 
When it comes to the show's presentation, it's always easy to pick apart and devalue the unconvincing sets, costumes, and creatures. It's all a bit silly. But what usually rubs people the wrong way about Star Trek, even if they are unaware of it, is the show's moral haughtiness. This aspect makes up a huge percentage of Trek parodies. These criticisms do play their part in maintaining the audience's perspective, though, and Roddenberry was well aware of the limitations of the show. But to his credit, he still strove to elevate moral issues in the public discourse. I believe he wanted Star Trek to be the beginning of discussion, not necessarily the end. And I would argue that Star Trek is often successful in that goal. Dorothy Fontana, who was the primary writer for Encounter at Farpoint, had been a writer on the original series as well as the animated show, along with a kajillion other television shows. She was well aware of Roddenberry's sci-fi moral philosophy, which is probably why she was tapped to write the pilot episode, although she would later butt heads with Roddenberry over his controlling approach to the show. The United States has had a difficult history concerning race relations, women's, LGBTQ, and civil rights, to name a few, and the 1960s saw many of these issues come to a head. Roddenberry was affected by the changes going on at the time and tried to address these matters in the original series. While we can look back now at the original Star Trek and see some major flaws in this regard, for the time in which it aired, Star Trek was quite progressive. Because Roddenberry was sensitive to social and political issues, he pushed to incorporate these issues in The Next Generation and make sure to set the new tone. The Next Generation became hugely successful. It went on for seven seasons and four feature films and set the stage for several new TV series, some of which are still going today. But in 1987, none of that was assured. It appears that the creators got the balance right, but there was a risk involved in what Roddenberry wanted to do. From a moral storytelling outlook, it would have been easy enough to pick up the show from where Captain Kirk left off. In fact, the Kirk movies were still being produced when The Next Generation premiered. Star Trek IV The Voyage Home had just come out the year before in 1986, and Star Trek V would come out after Encounter at Farpoint in 1989. What The Next Generation did that was so risky was to evolve the moral code of Kirk and the original series, and Encounter at Farpoint would be the test. And in a very meta way, the story of Encounter at Farpoint surrounds Q's test of Picard. The original series of Star Trek consisted chiefly of shows that were morality tales. That is to say that Kirk and company would encounter an alien life form that would be some kind of moral quandary, and Kirk would then solve the problem, thus teaching the alien, but actually the audience, what the morally correct thing to do was. While this was an effective and fun teaching device, it had the limitation of Kirk and the Federation being somehow the moral arbiters of the galaxy, always assuming the moral high ground. And while Kirk was always a good guy, it wasn't a very nuanced approach to ethics. What Fontana and Roddenberry did with The Next Generation was to tinker with the mode in which the moral of the story was taught. It would no longer be the Federation dictating what was virtuous, but rather it would be a story about discovery. Picard and the other characters would be the students, struggling to first understand what was presented to them and then attempting to act and find a moral solution. This change in approach allowed for a much more flexible teaching tool, and arguably a much more moral one. The very scenario of Encounter at Farpoint reflects this new approach. Q, a malevolent alien, teases and harasses the crew of the Enterprise for their lowly moral abilities, reflecting the position the Federation of the original series used to take when encountering an alien species. From an outsider perspective, it may seem that Q was merely behaving in the same way that Kirk did. As part of his scheme of intimidation, Q positions himself as Picard's teacher and sets up a test of his moral problem solving. Q is an obnoxious know-it-all, but he is written that way for a reason. Q is the reflection of how the original series approached moral teaching. Picard is the new standard of how Roddenberry thought the show should explore ethics, and so, throughout the show, Picard repeatedly rejects Q's ideas and assertions, showing that Roddenberry, and Fontana, 
are rejecting the moral self-righteousness of Captain Kirk, ironically a character that he created. The Next Generation was an evolution of Roddenberry's ideas about morality tales. It was an evolution of television on a technical level as well as an ethical one. An Encounter at Farpoint was the trial for the new way, and audiences bought it. Encounter at Farpoint was an exciting opening for the new Star Trek reboot when it aired in 1987. A lot of people watched it who were not really Trek fans or even sci-fi fans. At the time, the show was highly praised and had both high audience numbers and very high ratings. This makes sense if you consider that the Star Trek franchise was a beloved American show by the 1980s. Everyone knew what it was, and everyone liked it, and everyone wanted to see the next chapter in its history. The show is fascinating and entertaining for general audiences, but doesn't quite live up to the drama that Q promises will unfold for the Enterprise's crew. There are also some minor difficulties, so I can only give it a B-. But for Star Trek's core fan base, the show was an excellent revival, and it gets an A. Encounter at Farpoint is probably the most important Next Generation episode. Not necessarily for the production, although the show holds up really well. No, it's because Roddenberry was successful in setting the new tone of morality plays for the show. Over time, the show would wander from the path and then refine it, but Encounter at Farpoint did set the bar. As I said, the show holds up quite well for something that was produced in the mid-80s. That has something to do with its high budget. On initial viewing, the first thing that one notices is the production design. The sets were sleek and handsome mixing touchscreen displays, cream-colored paneling with stained wood trim, and subtle blue accent lights. Costumes also were nothing like the old Trek, except in their muted colors. The new designs were reminiscent of traditional sailor uniforms, but updated for their futuristic origins. It was all quite elegant. Even the alien world and Bandai City had much care given to the design. It was clear that the producers wanted to avoid the main criticism of the original series, that it looked fake, or worse, cheap. Along with the production design, the casting for the show and series was excellent. Patrick Stewart and Jonathan Frakes as the leaders of the Enterprise were excellent finds. Stewart especially gave the series some real gravitas, and Frakes serves as a steadfast foil for Picard. John Delancey plays Q and clearly relished that role. He brings a lot of fun to the villain and didn't take anything too seriously as he was dressed up in a catalog of strange costumes. His delivery is hilarious, bullying and slightly menacing. Another highlight was Brent Spiner as the android Data. While the character was meant to be the logical advancement of Spock, Spiner brings so much more in the way of expression. Data's unintentional confused humor and rapid-fire computer ease is quite charming. Denise Crosby is enthusiastic as Yar, and the character's passion is great, but it's a bit confused as, dramatically speaking, Yar served the same purpose as Worf, played by Michael Dorn. The Klingons are now allies of the Federation, and Lieutenant Worf has been assigned to the Enterprise. Dorn is terrific as the hot-headed Worf who is struggling to behave while on duty. Yara is similarly hot-headed. As the series would progress, the two characters would diverge, but for Encounter at Farpoint, the two are strangely similar. Marina Sirtis, who plays Lieutenant Troy, does an excellent job in what is arguably the most difficult character to portray. Troy's empathetic ability sets the character up for some ridiculous emoting, but Sirtis handles the character frankly. There are several other characters that are introduced in Encounter at Farpoint that would play more pivotal roles later in the series, such as Gates McFadden, LeVar Burton, and Will Wheaton. Wheaton was saddled with the character that everyone hates, the wide-eyed child who is of course actually a genius. Wesley Crusher starts off as the most annoying character ever written, but over the course of the series grows to become an audience favorite. A lot of that had to do with Wheaton steering the arc of the character, but that happens through several seasons of the show. For Encounter at Farpoint, we're stuck with the kid. Corey Allen directed this episode. He had a long history of television directing and was more than competent. He would go on to direct more episodes of The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, but I have to say that he brings nothing special to Encounter at Farpoint. 
As far as the shooting and staging of the episode, the show is straightforward and plain, no style, which is probably what Paramount wanted. They were taking enough risks on their show to begin with. I would guess that the edict from the top was to keep it simple, stupid. Alan could have set the tone for the series with a bit more flair, but... In the end, what makes Encounter at Farpoint a great show is its sincerity. The sci-fi outlandishness and unbelievable happenings are successfully presented because the cast and production set up and deliver the show in a genuine manner. That is what makes a show believable. It's not the special effects or sets or costumes or creatures. It's the message and the sincerity in which it is presented. Hey movie cats, whenever I watch a movie there's always some nagging questions that linger with me. Small things that get stuck in my head. Here's just a few from Star Trek Encounter at Farpoint. What exactly are the limitations of Q's powers? Were all the Bandai people in on the Nadarians' enslavement? What drug is the court police guard taking? Did Nancy Reagan ever comment on the show's anti-drug theme? Is it weird that the Enterprise's flight recorders are the same as the TV show's cameras? When Picard first appears in the courtroom, there's an odd dark area over part of his face. Why was this shot used in the edit? Do the Nadarians ever show up again in any of the Trek shows? Why don't the new uniforms have any pockets? Did the old ones? When Q is in his role as judge, is his chair supposed to be floating, or is it the way it was originally envisioned? Is Dr. McCoy still on active duty? Thanks for listening. I may never figure them all out. Hey, movie cats. I'm just a puppet, but there are real cats out there that need your help, really. Please take some time to locate the cat shelter that is nearest to you and make a donation. And if you're in need of some love, as we all are, you can adopt a cat from that shelter and improve your life, as well as the lives of our feline friends. Thanks so much for your help.